Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Tennyson Bagels podcast. Uh, this is Vonch. And... Uh, I'm joined by my good friend here. He looks really well-dressed, looks really happy as well because um, he's been watching Leila, Leila Fernandez this past week clinch her, um, defend her Monterey title. And uh, we're back together after, after uh, quite a bit of time. Um, and uh, Owen actually can't join us this week. Unfortunately, he has um, midterm exams. He's a good university student and he, he's going to, do well on his exams. We wish him luck and he'll join us in the, in the next podcast. But with that, how are you doing, Andre? How's, how's everything going? Good, good. Uh, you, of course, uh, both of you guys are very responsible students. Like Vansh was out not only for the podcast, but for Twitter um, for the past few weeks because of midterms and, and everything. And yeah, Layla won. And that also have me had me a little bit... Uh, swamped with work as well because I was definitely following her at Tennis Canada. Uh, it was really good. It was a really fun week and fun matches as well. She played last. The epic final that she played was I I made a tweet on Tennis Canada saying that like, oh she she came back from a set down and she was used to come back. So uh I, it was after she lost the first set I tweeted like Lele is not unfamiliar with a epic comeback. So this is still a game on. I was not expecting that to turn into an actual epic match that could potentially be one of the matches of the year by the end of it. Head of everything, even lights flickering that caused a lot of controversy. And believe it or not, like I was actually complaining a lot of my personal tweet at Twitter that that should be a let plate uh, because the lights kind of went off like mid point. Um, and the crowds kind of like went a little bit noisier and they didn't call it a lie. It ended up being a match point for Rosario. And uh, Leila complained to the uh, umpire. She asked for the lights to be fixed before they started playing. But uh, once that she asked for the supervisor to come in, to come in and then the supervisor came, uh, Leila never asked for the point to be replayed, apparently. Uh, and two, um, the decision to pause for 15 minutes wasn't hers. It was because the supervisor wanted to fix the lights, but to fix the lights, they needed to turn them off first. So um, that's why they needed to give it a break. So at the end of the day, if, if it wasn't for the supervisor, the break would have been probably three minutes or so. Um, and they pointed out something really interesting during um, during the commentary that Layla never sat down um, during the break. And Osorio did take a break. Uh, she kind of like sat down and uh, waited. Um, and Layla just kind of felt a little bit more sharp when they came back. And she saved a fifth match point and then won the match, which lasts for like three hours and two minutes. So like so long. Um, 
Um, so yeah, it was it was very interesting. It, it definitely felt like a much bigger match <laughs> than when you look at like this just a two fifty, but. For title defense, the first title defense, you're going to like this one. This is the first title defense by a Canadian player since Milos Raonic did it in San Jose in 2013. So it's been almost wow. 10 years that a Canadian player defended a title on the on any tour. So That's a sick stat right there. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I wasn't really watching tennis the last one week. But when I, you know, when I saw this result, I was, uh, I was quite... Uh, quite happy because I thought, you know, these are two players who have really sort of ascended to the top now in women's tennis. Mm-hmm. I mean, Camila Osario Serrano has had a, you know, a fantastic last six months or so. Like I remember her getting to the final in Tenerife or something after the U S open, mm-hmm. uh, she beat Sertalina there and she had some good results on the clay last year. And she's been really coming, coming on and actually find her game really fun to watch. She's got a lot of variety and angles and she hits a lot of drop shots Mm-hmm. Good court sense, moves the opponent around well, and um, matches up really well against Fernandez and with her, you know, fight. And I guess it was uh, definitely a match I should check out yeah. <laughs> on, on YouTube and you know catch the highlights if I can because uh, that sounds crazy. You know, five match points saved to you know defend a title like that. That's uh, that's pretty 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 good stuff. It seems like she really likes playing this time of the year. I'd say mm-hmm. um, yeah. because I remember in twenty twenty she also made a final in Mexico. Yeah. Acapulco, I think, and lost to Heather Watson. And then she really come on strong, um, like winning two Monterey titles in a row. Yeah. It's a, Osorio is super incredibly fun to watch. I don't think I've, I've watched highlights of her before, but um, her peak level, I'm not entirely sure she reached peak level, but she was playing extremely well for a while. I think her serve can be much better. Um, But when, and when she was on, it was it was hard because she was hitting the spots and not hitting hard. But she defends so well. She's so fast and like she uses the slice so like intelligently because she can cut it like really low and like just really kind of like set the like the trajectory very straight. Like a, imagine like a, fed, a very Federer kind of slice or or actually Barty. But like she can also use it just to like reset the point. And when she does it you can tell that the point is completely neutral, like right away. Um, so she really forces her opponents to like take more initiative. Um, and it's not like she's dropping the slices uh, near the, 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 the service line either. She's like dropping them mostly like um, near the baseline. So it's not like it's just going to be a floaty shot um, that you can attack while waiting for the ball to bounce. So you cannot really hit an approach shot off of that slice. So you really are forced to either come to the net or attack from the baseline or reset the point and just go back to neutral. Uh, and that really kind of like threw Fernandez off for a while. Um, but especially because she was attacking almost all of those shots, but Osorio just kept the point going and going and going. And I think it's a match that Owen would have loved to watch because if he if, she, if he enjoys uh, SST so much, I feel like Osorio can be kind of... Uh, like a step up from that game, like um, she can actually like run for hours. Right. Maybe it's SST is a little bit more fit, but um, yeah. um, she has game, the power as yeah. well, right? Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, That's the thing. She can finish points like a lot easier. Fine. Yeah, really good at that too. I, I mean, I haven't you know watched her that closely, but she reminds me a lot of Ons Jabor mm. in the sense, like you know, the variety and then the injection of pace um, mid rally and just like yeah. the rhythm. 
and using the slice and pretty quick around the court, pretty athletic. So she's going to be, she's going to be quite fun to watch. It seems like she, she's doing well in clay and yeah. hard. So. Another thing that I didn't realize is that she's only 20. So. Right. Yeah. Already top 45. So she's definitely one to watch. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, apart from that, um, I guess we should touch a little bit on the week before, you know, uh, because yeah, of course, quite a quite a bit of bit of stories. I guess while we're on the women, I guess we should talk about Iga Swiatek and her impressive run to the title uh, last week in Doha. Obviously, this is a you know a Masters one thousand that alternates. You know, it's it's in Doha every even year, and it's in Dubai the other years. And for Swiatek, this was quite a big win, you know, to. Mm-hmm. lent herself on hard courts again after the Australian Open semis and she obviously had a really tough draw here and she knocked out she absolutely thrashed uh, and had contivate in the final and before that she beat you know Maria Sakari yeah lost seven games there and um yeah like just super impressive super impressive all round. beat three top 10 players dropped a set to Victoria Golubich who is quite a tricky opponent to play against yeah pretty, pretty nice one-handed backhand <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah uh i guess uh what stood out to you from doha Shiontek. yeah i i for one i didn't actually watch so i'm not going to be able to tell much about the tennis but i think Shiontek is a player that just kind of really needs to figure out <clears throat> her game on fast courts and uh, her serve on clay <laughs> but um hold on Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm just recovering from a cold and I'll be coughing a lot during this episode. But yeah. Um, but what stands out for me is that once she won her first um, Masters 1000, well, I guess not Masters, but like WTA 1000 um, on hardcore, her second WTA 1000, and that's that actually makes her the third straight year that she wins a big title on tour. <laughs> so um, same old, I guess, with Fiontech, like just steady progress but like steady progress up here not like just um not to compare like apples to oranges but like uh, felix was steady progress but like it took him a while to win a title um but like Smiantek is taking a while to like cement herself as like a top five like top four um to for us to really see her chances um to crack into the top three even I don't think she's ranked like top five yet, but like um, I think she's she she I can see her coming into the top five very soon. That's kind of like what I mean. Um, so yeah, like it's a player who has a lot of consistency. Just probably needs to find a little bit more on on the winning side. Yeah, I mean, I was so impressed by this week because the way she was. Um, you know, usually the the playbook on her is, um, you know, on fast courts you can rush her and sort of get her, um, get her to hit forehands in uncomfortable positions and just kind of rush that wing and take time away. And she was able to really take the initiative and be aggressive earlier in the points, which I think really helped her because she was able to play on her terms. Her serve was working well. Um, she was she was uh, defending. Amazing, you know her her backhand cross court defense is just phenomenal. The way she can like um, just turn points on a dime from defense to offense, I just find so amazing to watch. Especially the way she 
hits that sliding open stance backhand and she can hit it down the line as well. Um, it's one of the best shots in the women's game. Um, definitely think, you know, her second serve can be a bit vulnerable at times, but then again, there's a lot of players on the WTA, you know, who thrive on winning second serve return points. And it's just kind of how you recover after that first step. And she, it seems to be, she seems to be a bit quicker after that first step um, in Dubai. And she seemed to be covering that forehand wing exceptionally well and not only covering it, but also like really creating some explosive power on her own and getting into the patterns she likes, which is going cross court, cross court, and then changing the directions, going down the line, using her backhand drop shot with two hands, uh, you know, coming, co- coming to the net and really sort of beat Contivate at her own, at her own game. And she was doing a really good job of mixing the pace, um, getting it high, hitting some of those higher loopier shots to, uh, and that's backhand and then rushing, rushing a net and hitting, hitting these very good approach shots, finishing points at the net. She was doing it. She was really great in all facets. And it just shows she's a you know, pretty complete all-round player. Kind of agree with you. Steady progress. She's now four in the world. So that's good to see. Um, you know, would so like she's to top five. <laughs> yeah, I would like to see her, you know, uh, do well in the, in, in the clay swing, obviously, because last year... Um, she was uh she lost to Sakari in the quarters. And Sakari is, you know, that's that's definitely a matchup she's not enjoyed. So for her to win against Sakari this week, I thought was a was a pretty big step forward for her. And she also beat Savalenka, who was playing very well and not double faulting. Um, and is starting to get back into form as well. So that was a great week in Doha. Coco Golf was playing better again. Uh, you know, won a couple of matches. She beat Bedosa, which was quite a good result for her in straight sets. And yeah, it just continues to be seen. I I guess, you know, one of the main topics on the WTA the last six to eight months from the fans and everyone else has sort of been like, there's so many players that can win any tournament that they enter and the depth is amazing, but we're not seeing rivalries and we're not seeing a whole lot of gatekeeping. And to that, I'd say to an extent, I would agree, but we're also seeing, if you take aside Raducanu, right? If you take aside Raducanu winning the US Open, um, you know, because obviously that was, that was something that's not been done before in the open era, qualifier winning and all of that. And you take aside maybe Georgie winning in Canada, right? Just as an example. Um, you know, most of the other big titles or players who have won titles now, you're sort of seeing like a big group of, let's say, 8 to 15, you know? So it's not quite like so open, like anyone can win. It's more like you're seeing a good group of 8 to 15, which I guess on the men's side is smaller, Right. But you're starting to see, you know, the likes of, like, I guess, Ash Barty, Krajikova, Shvantec, Bedosa. Like, the, if you look at the top 10 of the rankings, like, it feels right to me now. It really feels like, yeah, these have been the top 10 best players in, um, in the world. Obviously, you know, Muguruza is still kind of trying to find her form. Uh, you got Pushkova returning from the hand injury, right? But if you just go down the rank- rankings, and of course, we know how capable Ostapenko is, and she's won the most matches of anyone this year, actually. So... I guess there's more players in the mix, but it, it definitely feels like, you know, we're yeah. getting, to, getting to some sense of, I guess we're not at quite gatekeeping levels yet because there's just so much depth. But I feel like, you know, we're the last six to eight months, we've seen less chaos overall if you take outside the, yeah. the, the runs. Yeah, I feel like one of the problems with the WTA is that we have this group of eight to fifteen people players really 
but then we only have like really one that you can say this player is the one that you cannot really see anybody else like beating when that player is ash party um right. by the time that osaka comes back and um, maybe andresco like you can see players like this um really gatekeeping again but at this point we just have this group of people and they if they start like losing this like fourth round or like quarterfinals um and necessarily like into the semis like that's that's something that it becomes a little like rough just because it, it having a one and two dynamic makes it interesting because then we have like for example when we pick like nadal and djokovic or um medvedev and djokovic or potentially now is more like medvedev and nadal um then we have this dynamic which is which side of the draw is gonna like open up is gonna blow up first right like whereas the, yeah. for the women's side it's just like when is like who is gonna blow out like in the in in each side of the draw like as in you can't really predict who's gonna be in the final um and and most of the matches tend to be sort of concentrated in the first week so yeah really feel exactly like, you know, the exactly first week is sort of all the all the popcorn matches and then it's kind of like last person standing and who is yeah and it's not like we get bad matches. It's just like it's so hard to predict like who's going to be in the semis. And this is good, but it also, it's, it also can be a bad thing just in the sense that, like, for example, um, Krishikov is out now, but and so suppose, like, Sabalenka. Um, can you see her, like, making it into the semis? I'm not entirely sure, like, that this is the thing, right? So, depends on um, the draw, right? Depends yeah. on how she's feeling that week. And exactly. I could see maybe Krachikova making it into, this, into the quarters, but I couldn't really see her, like, making it into the semis. I, I think it would, be, it would have been hard. But if Barty was there, then uh, it would have been a different game, right? I would have said, who's going to beat Barty, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's... It, you know, it is tougher for the casual fans to sort of get into the game, get into the women's game because they're like, who's winning this? You know, who's winning this every week? And also uh, us as well. I guess that's the same for us. But it's uh, it's kind of interesting to see the chaos as well. So I kind of see both sides to it. It's like it's one of those where it's like it would be nice to just get a few rivalries going. You know, like last year we had we had um, Bardi and Sabalenka, and they played a good number of matches, and they're I think four four now as they're head to head. So they're pretty even. I guess if we get something similar like that, I mean, we're basically the closest thing we've got to that this year is like Kazakina and Shviantek. You know, they're like meeting almost every other week. But, you know, that's not really one of those, I guess, top, top marquee rivalries between two top five players, which is why I really want to see Osaka back in the mix and Barty and them playing a lot more on the tour so we can get, you know, some of those clashes a bit more often than we're, we're seeing in, in big events and hopefully in later rounds of slams. I think that's the goal. And I think the WTA would benefit and everyone would benefit. So I completely agree on that. Um, and yeah, Barty is not playing Indian Wells. You know, she announced that she'll be skipping Indian Wells and Miami and was going to, you know, just take some time off, recover from her Australian Open, her, you know, grueling Australian Open, which was, you know, 30 games lost and seven hours on the court. But, you know, nonetheless, um, it's, you know, I guess it's kind of nice to see a number one from my perspective. It's kind of nice to see a number one sort of, you know, no like plan their schedule the way she does because it's clearly working for her, right? I mean, we saw last year she was by far the best player, you know, won like five titles, won Wimbledon, achieved sort of knocking off all of these goals. And for me, it's really all about US Open with Barty and see what she can do there because I'm really excited to see if she can complete that whole set. 
So I think, uh, you know, from a fan's perspective, we're definitely losing out from, you know, not seeing her at Indian Wells in Miami, but I also get it. And uh, I think she wants to be back for the clay season and uh, where she actually can gain quite a bit of points because, um, you know, last year she lost to, she lost early at Roland Garros. So she can Mm. actually make up some points there. So that'll, that'll be kind of, that'll be kind of interesting, but yeah, I guess uh, from, from my perspective, since I'm going to Indian Wells, you know, um, this upcoming week, I was really hoping she'd play this, she'd play this tournament, but she didn't really, you know, cite a reason as to why she's not playing in terms of like physically what the problem is. So I think, uh, you know, I would have probably liked to see that just to get a bit more clarity, but yeah. You know. Yeah. I think for in, in a way I feel like party, cause it was a very cathartic win like that to win in Australia. Right. So yeah, it, very emotional. It took a lot out of yeah, her. Yeah. Took a lot of her emotionally. So I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't trace a bit of a, <clears throat> a bit of a parallel between when Djokovic finally won uh, Roland Garros in uh, 2016. Yeah. Um, just in a sense that, like, after that, Djokovic kind of like went into his lump and like just kind of like didn't find the motivation. And I feel like Vard is just like recovering just from that energy and just trying to regain a bit of the motivation to go back on court and like play to win. Um, because she already had a, a, an issue like that in the past, like she didn't really find happiness on court. Um, and after I'm glad that, you bring that up. I'm sorry, glad you bring that up. I'm yeah. glad you bring that up. By the way, because I think. Um, it should be said that, you know, a few years ago, she took some time off. And, yeah. You know, it was for mental health reasons and she wasn't enjoying competing and being, you know, playing week in and week out on the tour. And she picked up other interests and she went and played cricket. She took some time away and spent time with friends and family. And she came back rejuvenated, fresh, you know, ready to ready to go. And she made her ascendancy to the top. So I think it's kind of part of her part of her career and part of her story to to um mm. to take these breaks every every now and then and yeah just kind of like when she took it last year like by the end of it she didn't she, did she play the she lost the US Open and didn't play Indian Wells that was it play, yeah. yeah and then didn't play the yeah. rest of the year so, yeah and I I kind of understand because you're coming from Australia and you know those tournaments are far away and she's basically committed to you know living out of her suitcase for those seven months because yeah. she you know she never returned home and with the quarantine rules and COVID and you know all that that can be tough for especially for somebody like ash who has such a big strong support system and so well uh, all of her base everything is in australia so, yeah. yeah i think yeah i think yeah. some of that some of that gets misconstrued because you know people they like to say like oh you know she's just having a good time you know drinking drinking beer doing other things she doesn't really care about tennis and to me i i don't really see it quite that way so mm-hmm. I, you know yeah, I think she I think she cares enough about it that she doesn't want to play just for the commitment, like the, the contractual commitment and then the prize money. Like I think she wants to do it well and wants to to be in the right state of mind to actually play and, and kind of court and, and play good matches, give the fans like what they paid for. Um so I think if she she says she's not gonna play well, I think it'll just be like, yeah, whatever, just come back, like whenever. Like yeah. um, I don't think that she's gonna take another like two-year break or something like that but right who knows what what she's she's defining as a next goal for after that so yeah i always find this kind of interesting when top players you know schedule themselves like this because it does feel like every time they step on the court you know if they play fewer tournaments like the stakes are so big hmm. so every loss that you have just hits harder and it gets yeah. more attention and the whole thing the whole circus just keeps going because 
you know, otherwise compared to the players, like for example, who play every week and they sort of just take the L's and they, it's a different, it's a different phase of their career or, you know, someone like Coco Goff, right. Who had, you know, tons of hype around her and rightfully she's a great player and she will be in the future as well. But, you know, bursting onto the scene in 15 and she's just sort of just playing every week, taking the L's, losing, learning, getting better, you know, it's all about the long term, taking, you know, you know, choking matches away. Uh, you know, I mean that in a good way, like that's to, to get experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming back from winning positions, pulling off upsets like she did against Bedosa, you know, not really winning it. She's won two titles, but nothing crazy. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, and then you have, you know, then you have sort of players like who, you know, don't play every week and they're sort of managing their schedule and they're doing it in blocks. So, you know, I just find that, I just find that interesting because if you can get the balance right, then I'd say, then I'd say it works. It takes a special degree of skill and confidence and belief, I'd say to, you know, sustain that over and over again, you know, and I think the big three and Serena, and I guess, you know, maybe now even Barty because she usually does really well from a time off. Yeah. They were to come back pretty quickly. So, yeah, with that, I guess we can move on to um, another guy who took a lot of time off uh, as Needs no introduction, Rafael Nadal. Yeah. Uh, what a start to the year he's had. 15 and 0 to start the year. Um, you know, obviously playing playing again in Acapulco where he just loves those conditions. You're on a hard court. Uh, you know, but high bouncing. Um yeah, high bouncing conditions at home. An event he's won three times before. Um, but this time he was up, he had a really difficult, I'd say, projected draw, right? With four of the five top players top five players were in that field and obviously it broke broke pretty uh broke open i'd say until he placed medvedev and that's where we saw the rematch of the australian open and this time i actually went into that match feeling like with the way the last three sets went in australia and the way that momentum has sort of shifted in that rivalry now with nadal obviously leading 5-1 in their head-to-head but i feel like you know four of those six matches have been really close you know to take out take out the Acapulco win and you take out their mm-hmm. first bidding, they've all gone the distance and they've all been pretty tight and competitive. So even despite considering all of that, I just felt like the conditions and uh, the, the tactics that Nadal employed in the last three sets of AO were going to translate very well on these courts here. And with uh, everything else, I guess, going around in the world uh, with the Russia and Ukraine stuff, you just never know how that's going to affect players from that country. And so that's definitely something I had in mind. And obviously with Medvedev clinching the year at number one. Uh, cl- yeah, Another year. No, my bad, she, my bad. We're only just, in February. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, clinching the number one uh, for the first time. Non-Big Four player has done that since 2004, February. Uh, mm-hmm. And the next match, you have to play Rafa Nadal. Um, and I just didn't think he, he played his absolute very... I don't think he played his best match at all. But on the, on the other hand, I thought Nadal was superior in every facet of his game. And yeah, we just took control of that match. I think the score is a bit misleading, don't you think? You know, six three, six three. It was over two hours, uh, and definitely, you know, there were two crazy games in the second set where um, I think the the stat from that match is you know Medvedev was zero and eleven on break points. In mm. yeah. of those eleven break points, Nadal saved emphatically with either forehand, forehands down the line, drop shots, service winners. I think in 10 of those 11 break points were won by a, by a forcing shot from Rafa, an aggressive play mid-rally. Yeah. Or, 
or just really gutsy tennis. Uh, and just one shot was a backhand on forced error by Medvedev. So I think mm. that just goes to show how how clutch Nadal was in the latter stages of this match, particularly in the second set. I, I don't think the first set was very close at all. Yeah. So, you know, breaking early. And we saw Medvedev really sort of confounded on how to play Nadal now. I think it's it's really become an interesting rivalry because, you know, you'd, you'd say on a hard court, you know, Medvedev, you know, the best player right now, right? And then you have, you know, with Djokovic not in, obviously. And we know how much trouble Djokovic has given Nadal on on hard courts, but Medvedev's, uh, there's certain things that Medvedev still has holes in his game, like finishing from the net, you know, forehand, uh, creating offense. Apart from the serve, he found it really difficult to really create any kind of offense in this match. Uh, and the courts were playing extremely, extremely slow. And I thought mm. it was incredible returning his variety as well in the middle of uh, middle of the match to like change up the rhythm, go to the drop shot, go to the slice, bring Medvedev in where he's not very comfortable. He hit some ridiculous passing shots uh, and just anticipated really well. And mm. uh, it, it didn't seem like, and every time he hit a drop shot, it was a really interesting chess chess kind of a match because they're both so good from the back of the court. So they're trying to bring each other forward and <laughs> win points that way. So whoever can really do that first is going to have a big edge. And yeah. I felt like every time Nadal hit an, even a not so good drop shot, he was able to get away with it because he could anticipate where Medvedev was going to go. And you saw Medvedev really just sort of confounded and going to serve in volleys and, you know, trying to end points. I thought he was trying to play a lot more aggressive this time than he was in Australia. In Australia, he was really willing to go toe to toe with Nadal for, the first two sets and really sort of outlast him. But this time he thought, okay, I'll just use more pace and yeah. more acceleration on my shots and just try and beat him that way. But it was just, it yeah. seems like he's confounded and it's taking yeah. belt. I, I think in a sense, um, there are probably a lot of uh, things that were affecting me, but at that point, like one is like the obvious external reasons of um, Ukraine crisis in, in Russia. And obviously like, yeah. He he must not be feeling very good about like you know. Like, I don't think so. I think it, it's you like, feel like a little. I don't want to say ashamed, but like a feeling of like a shared responsibility as a people. I think you you can probably say it, like put it in that manner. Um, so walking on court is not as is not as simple. There is always something like in the back of your mind like that. And yeah. the not to take away anything from Nadal, as you said, like he was clutch and Medvedev had eleven break points. So that's not like he was not trying to do anything. Uh, and the other thing is um, the number one ranking. Like a lot of things probably happen. And the loss to Nadal probably still like haunts him a, a little bit. He's probably, as you say, he's trying to be a little bit more aggressive. So he was probably trying new things and being just like Acapulco, like it's a 500 event. Like he um, he probably used that as a little bit of like a test, um, as a test site, like a, his lab time. You know what I mean? He's, he goes there and like, discusses with his, his coach like what are we gonna do like what are we gonna try like if is if there's a time to try out new things it's it's now and get, getting this chance against Nadal like a, it's is a pretty solid one he probably would have liked to have a, at least another set um to you know keep keep trying to to, to go as something and you know you, you never really like to lose especially going like down five one in a new rivalry um but I think it's still going to be interesting to see where it goes where it goes from now um of course, now we only have like two more hardcore events. Um, I'm not entirely sure. 
if Nadal is even going to be committing to play both Indian Wells and Miami, like given the the state of his body, I think he would just probably prefer to play Indian Wells, how he goes. And if he wins or he goes far, he might drop out of Miami um, and just get his body ready for the clay season where you're probably like thinking, you know, looking at it, like aside from Australia, I think he probably looks at the clay season as the most important part of the year, of the year for himself. Um, but yeah, and Medvedev is entering the phase where he goes in into his worst part of the, the season, which is clay. Okay. So I am sure that Medvedev is not going to want to end the hardcore season. Um, the first first leg of the hardcore season like that, you know, he's, he's not going to end up uh, in a straight sets loss to a man who has come back from injury and it's like six off from injury and beat him twice in a row one from two sets to lockdown. So I think Medvedev is definitely going to like give his heart out to try to win Masters 1000s events where he, he does pretty well at those events. So, um, yeah. yeah. And as far as number ones go, um, while it's the first time that a player like outside of the big three gets to number one, it, it felt the big three, like the, the big four, really, because Murray did, did it in 2016, but um, it, it felt pretty muted in a sense. Like it's it's the type of number one that comes in a, a little too gradually in the, not a sense like there's no, it doesn't doesn't feel like there was any stakes at it. Um, the the number ones that just happened a few times, like in uh, in the women's tour, for example, when Karolina Pliskova hit, hit number one for the first time, yeah, she had lost like first week of Wimbledon, and then somebody lost in the second week, and she ended up in number one, and she was in a practice court like doing nothing, and then like, okay, I'm, I'm number one now. So like, it's it feels like one of those. Not that he doesn't deserve it. Like it's just he did a lot more of his work prior to the point where he becomes number one. Djokovic didn't play Australia, so he did lose a lot of points there. Um, yeah, of course, that's that's his fault. Uh, it's not not many people to, to blame aside from himself. Like, it's probably take like at least like 90% of the fault on that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, um, I'm feeling like Medvedev wants to prove to himself and to the world that he... He really deserves this this number one ranking, and it's not just because Djokovic didn't play or you know circumstances yeah, outside yeah, from his control. Yeah. I definitely think he's deserving under the circumstances. You know, if you you know what happened to Djokovic, obviously happened. It's not something he can control. Yeah, and he still had to make it a final because he was defending twelve hundred points still. Yeah, exactly, and you know, there's a lot of what ifs associated with that but you know it's just like when a player you know doesn't show up because of an injury right Mm -hmm. this is sports this is what happens and you know considering all the circumstances i would say on a hard court the amount he's won the last three years and the consistency he's shown and you know quarterfinals at roland garros has played well in monte carlo and barcelona before so it'll be interesting to see if he can back up that and, you know, start to do better. I guess the only three big events he hasn't won is Australia and Indian Wells and Miami. Indian Wells obviously plays really slow. So it'll be and slow and bouncy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he how he does in Indian Wells and Miami. And then we'll, we'll see where it goes. As for the rivalry, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because I feel like Nadal has also added more layers and he's also 
you know, sort of used it, you know, I mean, not, not in a way as a test, because that sounds, that sounds crazy because, you know, every point in adult really plays it's with a purpose and intensity to, to win. And, you know, he even said after the match that, you know, I was lucky to win that second set, which I don't really buy, to be honest, because he was up a break the whole time. So it's more, you know, it's more, it's definitely one of those where, where I think, uh, the five one lead yeah. is a bit misleading, but it also it also is it's impressive because it you know like coming back from injury and winning two matches because if you I mean he's fifteen and zero on the season and those are the two standout wins for me like the other thirteen matches I mean I guess you could say and also the fifth set against Shapovalov where he was really impressive and you know with the heat stroke and uh, Shapovalov had all the momentum and all of that going but. Apart from that, I think those are the two that really stand out. And it feels like he's sort of having one of those 2017 Federer type moments, at least to start the year, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, you're kind of just riding that wave of playing freer again. And it just, it seems like, you know, and he's going bigger on the second serve. He's looking to finish points more quickly than ever. His forehand looked extremely devastating. Um, and it doesn't look like he's second guessing himself. And it looks like his foot is doing much better and it looks fine so and he's moving as well as you can for almost 36 so i would say it's going to be you know it's definitely something that you know we can't take for granted because we don't know how long uh, because things change so quickly in tennis right so we don't know how long it'll continue at some point he will definitely lose and the streak will be over but it's definitely a good way to start the year if you're an adult fan right and to have so much success this is his best start ever to a season yeah um so so yeah it'll be interesting to see how he does in indian wells an event that he's won three times as well but yeah, yeah. And then i actually actually thought his toughest match was not in against medvedev it was against tommy paul in the quarters because <laughs> he was actually down three five and he was they played an, a set that was almost an hour and a half and he won seven six and that was after a bagel in the first set so he uh like really had to dig super deep and he had to come back from a breakdown twice and he, it was really, really humid. And at one point, he couldn't put the balls in his pocket because it was like, he was just dripping with sweat everywhere and everything was wet. And he was just, he was just somehow trying to wrestle control of the match back. And I don't even think he played his best in the final against Cam Nori. Cam Nori, of course, had, had another great week. Good to see him uh, back up his results from last year. He's definitely backed up the Indian Wells result. Uh, disappointing in Australia, but he definitely... Uh, you know, winning Delray Beach and then now getting to the final here. He had a good win over Sitsipas in the in the semis. Yeah. So he continues to do do well. And um of course Nadal he got him in the final, but uh, you know, Nori is definitely not one to be underestimated and he's pretty tough to play with the straight arm backhand and the loopy, more traditional clay court type forehand. Yeah. That gives people a lot of problems. And then of course he's just improved every other part of his game too. Uh, um, by yeah. a small margin, but it's paying off in the big moments, and he looks mentally stronger. So, mm-hmm. when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Yeah, I think that his backhand is really the shot that Nadal can exploit just because um, Nadal's backhand is just so much better. Like he can play with a lot more variety and if Nori just wants to rally for too long, it's it's too flat, so it doesn't really yeah. kind of it kind of just floats is. back, and Nadal can kind of like take control unless unless Nori wants to actually go for the angles and actually flatten it out and change directions and be aggressive with it. Like the backhand is a little bit of a liability. If he's attacking and being aggressive, it's a good backhand. But if if he's just trying to rally, it's I think it lacks a little bit of shape for it to be. Uh, a good shot against people who are not counter punches. So, yeah. yeah, it's a good point because against Rafa, he's definitely not one that shies away from creating pace. I mean, he can create pace no matter what. Yeah. So on, on his forehand, you know, keeping it very low because against um, against players like even Sitsipas and other players on the tour, he's he's troubled them a lot with that tactic of just you know slow balling them on the backhand, and it's not really more slow slow balling. It's more just like keeping it extremely low and with really low net clearance, but also getting really good margin on it. So he's yeah. able to get that skit through the court and he's able to get it on, you know, slower surfaces as well. So it's extremely consistent and you're then forced to change directions and go big with your, if you're a righty, you're forced to go big down the line with it. And then he can loop his forehand back into play and then get it into patterns that he likes. And he actually likes to take the ball early now and flatten out, flatten it out on his forehand. But there's not really sort of one standout really big weapon in his game. And yeah. so I think that's what really hurts him against Rafa because he, you know, it's tough to get free points and get your ways off of baseline rallies because Nadal is, like you said, is so good. And his, you know, he has no trouble creating pace on his forehand or backhand from low positions. Yeah. So yeah. yeah pace generation is off the charts. Um, I have, a question do people drop points uh, at indian wells because he was held in like october last year or are they only yeah, dropping in october i think the points actually only drop in october so yeah yeah like cam nori will only drop his points in october but they cannot add any i'm supposing <laughs> he probably won't lose any but he cannot add anymore because otherwise it'd be a little bit unfair i would imagine so he kind of has a protected uh, indian wells ranking until last until, until october and then yeah, well, yeah. I would say because there's different events that were played, uh, because um, there's different events that were played at this time in March last year. So some of those points are now starting to drop, like yeah, Mercy and Acapulco and stuff like that. So if you had a good result or something there, then you'd lose those points here, but you can still gain from, uh, you can still, he could still gain, but he'll probably inevitably lose some because of, you know, tournaments from the year before. Mm-hmm. And That's he would, true. And he would lose, come October, he'd lose all the Yeah. Speaking of losing points, like how do you think Badosa will do uh, in you know in the Wells now this year? She hasn't really been going extremely well like the start of this year, but yeah, it's no, gonna be. Well. I mean, she she played well in Sydney. I thought winning the five hundred and 
beating Krajikova in the final. And then she just kind of ran out of gas, played a really good match against Kostyuk um, in the heat. And then she didn't have nothing left for against Madison Keys in the fourth round. And then yeah. loses to Coco Goff here. Uh, but so it's kind of hard for me to gauge where her form is. And with the depth of the WTA, I can't really make a prediction as to how she's going to do, I guess. It, I guess I can look up her draw really quickly and see, but like it's... Uh, but I, I'd, be, I'd be surprised and not surprised if she won it again. I think she's against uh, Fernandez on round three. Oh, interesting. I was supposed to take her Chikova um, pretty soon, but then Chikova dropped out. So I think she ended up being like the highest seed in her in her part of the draw, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting, yeah, because Kojikova was the number one seed, but now I saw she pulled out due to injury. So yeah, I'm assuming would that make Sabalenka the number one seed now? Or actually, no, no. What happens is then a lucky loser would come yeah, lucky loser, yeah, Kojikova. So I guess yeah, that makes Widosa the the highest seed in her section. I guess that would be, you know, the thing is with Widosa is she's like one of those players who so even off of both wings, like it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I first what I first noticed about her is I'm like, she doesn't really have a weak baseline game. Like, there's so much, you, you know, you can attack her forehand, you can attack her backhand, but when she's in form, and she's taking the ball early, and she's the one area of her game that I feel like sometimes lets her down is her serve. Like, it's yeah. not one of the best on the tour. Yeah, I guess it's a it's a pretty normal thing yeah. in the WTA tour, sadly. So it's not necessarily something yeah. that we'd count as a liability just because it's so common. Her second serve can set up a little bit more because I feel, you know, it kind of goes in phases because last year I felt like she was serving a lot better in, in Indian Wells at this time last year. But also it would be a little bit of a different conditions. But one yeah. but conditions that I think should suit her game. So it'll be... It'll be interesting. I'd be probably surprised if she defended because how many players are actually defending, you know, Masters 1000s these days on the WTA? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty hard, but I would, you know, actually, I saw that she's in SST's uh, section. So if we get an SST versus Bedosa. <laughs> I suppose the Bedosa shouldn't necessarily, well, I guess it goes both ways, but they know each other really well. Um, but yeah. So. so you obviously, that favors, right? Because. Yeah, you, you do have to give the edge to Badosa just because she probably knows where he hurts on SST. But I suppose SST knows how to defend those areas really well because she knows that Badosa knows. So it's it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I, I, I hope we get that match. Yeah. I hope we get like a that match, and I hope it is like really long and like. Yes, really... I hope it's like four hours plus. I really. Do. <laughs> I think I think that's yeah. tennis and Diggles people will go. I just I just hope. If if it goes that long, I really hope it's not like a morning match, like an eleven a.m. match, because oh, that would yes. be absolutely terrible. <laughs> I want it to be night session and under the lights because I want people to know because like SST played a really good match at Wimbledon against Kober and not yeah. anything about it, including including myself. I wasn't able to watch because I mean I was at work and also also the there was like other big matches going on at the same time. Like I remember Federer was playing against Gasquet and. There were other matches on court one, and so like her that match was on court two, and so if you actually, you know, like have a different stream or ESPN mm-hmm. Plus or something like that, you could have actually seen it. But it was yeah. I wish the Wimbledon YouTube page like uploads the full match. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> not everyone is doing like the Australian Open did this year. Like just pretty much. 
couple hours after the match is done, like they upload the full thing. Yeah, I guess on Acapulco, something else that really stood out to me yeah. uh, is Stefan Kozlov. So he's this mm. guy who was really good in juniors and got to two major finals uh, in juniors and got to like 115 in the world. But then he just declined. He had a lot of injuries. He had um, like just poor results after that and his ranking just dropped and he hasn't done much until the end of last year. And he's done well in challengers and he got his ranking back up. And I remember he took a set off of Berrettini this year in the second round of Australia. Mm. And he was actually a lucky loser in qualifying. Yeah. And uh, this story is fascinates me because Dimitrov was supposed to play Maxime Cressy. And Maxime Cressy pulls out. And so he's given, and Kozlov is practicing against Nadal. And they're playing a practice set and it's three all and Kozlov breaks a string and he goes to his bag and he just to get a new record. And he just had this intuition like, Oh, let me just check my phone. He checks his phone and he gets a bunch of messages from the supervisor saying you're up. You're a lucky loser, but you're up to play against Grigor Dimitrov. So pack your bags and go. <laughs> and yeah. you have to basically stop the practice. And I think there were other things that happened that day with him. Like he was, on Acapulco uh, beaches, like surfing. Yeah. He, it, he almost it, got caught in like a sea accident. Yeah, yeah. He screwed was stranded <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't have a, like a boat to come and rescue him. Uh, and like finally his team like got, got himself a boat. So he was worried like, you know, hopefully I don't get stranded here by sea. Forget about playing tennis. And he did not hydrate and he didn't really, like wasn't prepared like to play a match, you know. But he, yeah. he came on the court. And as you can imagine, probably low on fluids, low on food, everything. And he, he plays this weird match against Dimitra, but very, very entertaining. And they have these all kinds of rallies. You know, he's one of those slow ballers who throws in a lot of junk, but is extremely, if you actually watch him play, you're like, how is he winning? Because he's, you know, just casually manipulating the ball. He's taking it early, but it's very slow kind of pace. Not really have, doesn't really have much on his shots, but he, he can maneuver the ball really well and he can put the ball in awkward places. And it's really hard if you if you don't have like big finishing weapons against him. And Dimitrov really struggled to hit through him because he's really fast. And and they had this wild first set, and Grigor wins it, and they're in the second set. And then out of nowhere, he has this full body cramp, Kozlov. Yeah. He just falls flat to the ground, and it was getting really worrying whether he was even going to be able to continue. How is this going to work? The he was, the um, doctors were out on court. And helping him, helping him basically walk, stand up, get back to the chair. It looked like he was going to retire. I thought for sure he's retiring. Yeah. Dimitrov probably thought the same, which is not good for him in hindsight. <laughs> and, and it was one of those really, really insane matches because then you're thinking like, how in the world is this is he even going to finish? Let alone like think about starting the third set, let alone winning it. And then he somehow goes up a break in the third set and comes up with these amazing shots like on the run like on his forehand, just like slapping forehand cross-court winners, like on the dead run on, on defense and Dimitrov kind of not being able to finish and, you know, get, allowing Kozlov back in these rallies, like not finishing on the overhead, you know, like making some free mistakes, giving, you know, some costly double faults. And next thing you know, like Kozlov was serving first and he just needed one break and he, he comes through and like three hours and 
15 minutes. This is insane. Like he couldn't even walk. And all of a sudden yeah. he's playing like the match just started, you know, in the middle of the third set. And I just thought like amazing from like just an amazing story. And for Dimitrov, I just thought, man, like that's really a match. You know, that's one of those matches where forget about the matches that you've had against the big three, but that's really one where, you know, you got to find a way to win that. You know, yeah, it's like, true. Yeah. I guess um, Dimitrov at this stage of his career, he's, He's either having like a second spring or this is this is it for him in the sense that like yeah what can we expect more like in a sense he, he already achieved a lot I, to be I think fair. I kind of expect more yeah. of the same you know just kind of two or three big runs a year and, yeah you know a lot of other you know yeah. one win one type thing and I guess that's you know that's all right because we've sort of tempered our expectations and we we know kind of and we know we know what his ceiling is you know which is yeah. 2017 so yeah he can still bring it on but you know yeah. it's just and speaking of spec- expectations uh, <clears throat> i was talking to you about uh Raducanu before we started recording and yeah i i just wanted to talk to her to necessarily about her like just because um there's a lot of people just saying like oh we're expecting another like Leila Raducanu um final and like i it's interesting because their so-called rivalry is is essentially made up on wishful thinking in the sense that like we yeah. expect them to like meet again just so that because there was a there was a bit of drama in that match and obviously of course there was a lot of um of press on the fact that like Layla was doing extremely well and then Emma was doing extremely well as well and Layla had and they both had completely different paths to the final but they're also just two 19 year old girls like born like two months apart like a month apart and uh come up like completely different careers at that point and now they're just meeting in the US Open final almost like out of nowhere um and now Leila has just won a second title and she's been a little bit more consistent um I think Raducanu ever since like the US Open run yep. she either lost or had like extremely difficult three set matches that she had to win um so right. it's the expectations for me on Raducanu is is I don't, I don't think I, I, I don't want her to, to lose in a sense. Like I, I'm not those, those people that are just like, Oh, I just, I just wish you like had, have a terrible career now because you're a fluke. I don't think that like, like she, she has the game. Like if you win a grand slam, regardless of like the way that it happens, it's, you have the game. Um, so, but my, yeah, yeah. But my, my expectations is just now, instead of like projecting her against like the bigger, the big players and like, how is she going to do next is, I just, I really want to see like what she's going to do every match because like winning consistently now, like this is, and it might be ugly. It might be like an Adal, um, Tommy Paul type of match that you have to really find a way. But she, I feel like I'm expecting her to um, now start finding a way to win the matches. And obviously she, she had an injury, had to retire from her match in uh, Guadalajara very sadly. But mm, yeah, I think, uh, now it's just expecting match by match from her and not tournament by tournament. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think she should just really just take it one week at a time because I think your whole life just changes after you you know win a major like that. It doesn't matter who you really beat because she beat the players in front of her and she still had to beat Belinda Bencic, who won the Olympic gold medal. She still had to beat Sakari. Sakari, who just completely had like one of the matches of the tournament against Andres like seriously. <laughs> Exactly. Like, and she's a very formidable top 10 player and, you know, like 
she destroyed Cerebus Tormo. Like she she beat whoever was in front of her and she did it without dropping any sets and I think 34 games lost. Like the stats just speak for themselves. And when you do a break big breakthrough like that and you come from a country like England, like I mean, I would I would seriously think the hype would be a lot less if she didn't come from Great Britain, you know, just because of the history in tennis and you know, all the different um, people and powerful people that have a platform that like to speak and hype up um, hype up Raducanu. I mean, as for the rivalry, I just hope they they ever meet. I don't care like in what round. But, um, you know, my thing is that I think we should just go easy on these people because like Raducanu, I actually came back, I came back from Australia feeling really encouraged about her because she beats Sloane Stephens. You know, bagels, bagels her and then with, loses the second set and then plays a very good third set even though the scoreline was a bit misleading 6-1 and then she she then loses her next match but she's dealing with blisters and she finds a way to stay in the match somehow and just win with her forehand slice like that's something I hadn't seen from Radu Khanu before when we saw her win at the U.S. Open it was everything was on her terms she was always in the lead she was always she was playing with nothing to lose and she was playing fearless and it was working but I didn't see a side to her of like problem solving or being forced to come up with um, come up with new ways to win and win ugly, right? And I saw that a little bit in Australia, and, I, and she didn't win, but I thought her attitude and her outlook on the match overall in the tournament really changed for me. I thought, okay, this is a player who is tough, like really tough mentally, and actually has other gears she can go to, go towards. And she's trying to, right now, she's just trying to go on the tour, play week after week, stay injury-free, number one, which is really important. Um block out everything else around her, which is insanely hard, especially when you don't have, I mean, also with her coaching situation, like she prefer to have, you know, someone for a really long period that she can work with. And you also have to remember that during the off season, she had COVID. So that compromised her entire preparation and her season. Like with little prep, she was still able to beat Sloane Stephens and, you know, like play a memorable match against Danka Kovinich, like second round, you know, who's a good player herself. So like, so I, I would just like temper her, temper the expectations. And I do think, you know, soon uh, the results will come. Like, you know, the because I just feel like she has she has the maturity and she has the head of someone who's mature far beyond her years. And she's definitely, it's definitely not a fluke what she did at the US Open. So I just, I, I would say just give her like maybe six to eight months or give her a year even. Like it's, yeah. it's going to happen. And, you know, I, I, I just, I worry a little bit about Wimbledon, you know, with all the hype and the pressure. Yeah. But <laughs> I think she did well last year too, so. Um, but, but yeah, it's just kind of one, one tournament at a time, like just, you know, play week to week and just gain tour experience because this is so unprecedented what she did. Yeah. I think it wasn't a fluke, but it it was obviously like their stars were aligned in a sense where like, and, and that a lot of things happen well to her, like, but you still have, as you said, like properly, she still had to beat the the player in front of her but yeah i feel like um she needs to establish herself as a as a player on tour um yeah. and get more used to to losing tough matches and i think she's she's getting there because she definitely had has has had her 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 share already after the us open and uh getting used to it ugly and i think it's it's gonna come like it's honestly has been six months ish since the us open right so yeah. that's that's not a lot of, that's not a really, really, really long time, especially because as you said, like there was COVID and there was um, off season. There's a lot of things happening. So. Not to mention think, there was also yeah. a stalker 
who uh, you know oh yeah there was a stalker too yeah. and, i mean that can't be easy to deal with right no yeah she she herself that was the first time that i saw her talking about something that made her actually feel negative like you know like as everything was like oh yeah no i'm just i'm just blocking it out i'm just doing it my way and yeah i'm just want to see like how it goes but like this one time that's when it felt like that that she definitely felt it like in her core like as in that that shook her a bit so yeah i also just saw a different energy around her playing when the stakes were higher like in in, in the australian open the way she got up for that sloan stephens match i mean that just really impressed me i mean that's where i thought like okay wow like that's different kind of intensity different kind of yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be cool. Like when she starts um, finding ways and staying injury free, uh, mm-hmm. being playing, um, losing not necessarily because something happens uh, to your body, but just really just because it's a, it's a tough match, uh, and the other player just was just better. It's this seems that's, like it'll be tougher yeah. on the slower surfaces as well. Well, should really have yeah. construct yeah, point. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see on clay like what happens. Uh, I'm excited for that too. Which speaking of which is coming and um yeah, last two tournaments on heart and we transition to Europe. Yep, and then we got Monte Carlo and we got uh, the entire clay swing and you know, speaking of Monte Carlo, because I guess Djokovic is from there. Um you know, he he played in Dubai, right? He played after the three months, um so long time without any match play, I guess. And you know, it was one of the countries that allowed players to come in if they weren't vaccinated and the crowd and everyone there had to be but he he got there and he played two good matches against Mosetti and Hachinov. Um, I thought he actually looked really good towards the end of the Hachinov match um, and uh, handled Mosetti pretty well and I honestly thought Yuri Vesley played one of the best matches of his life like he played one of the best that was one of the best tactical performances I've seen because he's he's a guy who I think was out of the top uh, 100 Last year, he got into a car accident and actually had to, yeah, like took a lot of time to recover. And we've seen what he can do on faster surfaces. He made the, he beat team that one year at Wimbledon in the first round and he's pulled off upsets. He beat Zverev at Wimbledon. He has beaten Djokovic before in Monte Carlo. So he's definitely a dangerous player, you know, not somebody who you, who you want to see in your draw, like sort of a dangerous floater. And he'd come off beating Chilich and RBA, who had won a title the week before. So he was in some really good form. It wasn't just only Djokovic. He then backed it up and got to the final. But against Djokovic, this guy was returning since Djokovic's serve so well. I mean, he won 58% of Djokovic's second serve points, which is just crazy. Like, And he was, um, he was able to sustain it the whole time. And he was hitting his backhand really flat, low. It was skidding through the court. The court is lightning quick in Dubai. It's a really, really fast court. Um, and the ball stays really low, and he was serving well. He was coming to the net. He was, he was, uh, Djokovic, I thought, was a little bit rusty in some big moments. He hit a couple of crucial double faults. Still found a way to break serve and get back into the match, and then uh, Vesley played a, a really good tie break and hit a lot of winners and came to the net like 26 times, and yeah, it was just one of those, one of those matches where I was like, okay, that had the ingredients for an upset, but um, definitely also shows that it's hard to just show up and win tournaments, you know, after two or three months, like you need match play and you need rhythm and definitely, definitely really deserved it because then he took out, um, Shapovalov in a really close match, very well played. 
and lost to a pretty confident Rublev, honestly. Like, yeah, I did Rublev also feel who, uh, like uh, he was a bit tired from a long week. Um, yeah, that that's the thing the final, too. But Rublev played really well, and yeah. he won back-to-back titles. And yeah, and Rublev is probably feeling a lot better now. Um, he broke a little bit of a drought in terms of a match of um, title winning. Yep, the last three tournaments were great for yep. him, you know. Rotterdam yeah, he, and Marseille final. And, and, and he, it all started <laughs> with those two wins, uh, I think, against Gasquet and Puy, because he found himself a breakdown in the third set in both matches. Yeah. And Gasquet even served for the match in Marseille. Yeah. So to get out of those matches and then find a way to win. And he's shown some good, some nice and toughness. Yeah. Just want to see what he can do now at the Masters 1000 level. Yeah, as always. You know, we've seen this with him before. You know, he's really good in 500s and 250s. And I thought the match against Hercatch was impressive, actually, because uh, Hercatch, uh, you know, won the first set and he's uh, he beat Rublev in Miami uh, in the semis when the stakes were a bit higher yeah. know, last year. And he he does well on faster courts. Um, yeah. Because it's, he's really good it, at redirecting pace. Yeah. And, it's, still, it's still the same. Even though Rublev has his own narrative, yeah, and the players that he can beat and the titles that he wins, but it's still a little bit of the same script. Still, like, yeah. it hasn't changed much yeah. in the sense that he we still we still need to here. see yeah, yeah it, we still need to see him beating Medvedev and Djokovic and Nadal, which are, is not an easy task. We still needs to beat Zverev. I uh, don't like to say his name, but if we have to at sometimes. Um, One of the worst matchups for him, like he just, yeah. Him. every player there is pretty much every player that is above him on in the rankings that's the guys that we we need to see him beating even like tc pass it's just like okay everybody else that is below you we know that you can beat those guys but everybody's above you like how do you do yeah and, and that's the next step for him and you know until we see that i guess then you can really say because you know he did have isolated runs last year maybe he, it's not like he you know he got to number five but he had three big results like he got to the monte carlo final where he beat Nadal in the quarters. Um, okay, Nadal didn't play a good match, but still, he still had to beat him. It was, you know, he still had to do it. And then he had to, he beat Medvedev in the Cincinnati semis, and then he he lost handily in both the Masters finals he played to Tsitsipas and Zverev, and he's made four major quarterfinals. And each time he's ran into Nadal, Medvedev twice, Tsitsipas. So, and he's not won a set in any of these matches, I guess. So that's the more concerning thing for him is just when he gets to these matches, does he have that extra gear? Does he have? Yeah. I don't think. I don't think it, that necessarily means adding variety, because I think, you know, I, I think he can be a great player without adding variety. I think there's other issues as well, like his second serve. I think it's definitely one of the worst. Yeah. Second serve in the top ten. It's it's just a different because he he's hitting a wall in a way that is different from Felix's when he he hit the wall. Yeah. About winning titles, because like Felix, we knew that he was capable of doing it. It, it was yeah. just that he was playing. Mostly badly in his finals, making, and then, making a lot of errors. Right? Yeah, it, it was just like nerves, and it it was like, who showed up today? <laughs> this is not Felix, and like Rublev is like, Rublev showed up, but Rublev didn't. Like you know exactly like what's going to happen most of the time. So it's like the wall is like, what can you do, strategically, tactically, tennis wise, that is going to allow you to win? Maybe there is some mental in this game as well, but a lot of it is just questions that is amounting to not not necessarily like when are you going to do this but like are you really capable of winning which is probably like a, a more most horrible wall to 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 reach like that's my my view on him um but i agree with you like um 
I think that he needs to improve a bit. <laughs> I also think Sorry, mentally, yeah. you know, this is the I second Serbian. It's interesting. it's interesting because mentally, I mean, you know, we like a lot of people think of him as a really intense player, you know, point in and point out. They sort of compare it to that Rafa mentality. But I also think that intensity all the time sometimes lets him down in a way where mentally it's tougher yeah. for him. Um, maybe maybe it's a, goes bad in the middle of a yeah. match. He tends to really go down on himself in dark. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. something that he can definitely control. I mean, it's yeah. not saying it's easy. It's one of the hardest things to do if you've played tennis to, um, you know, stay more even keeled and just relax a little bit. It's, it's tough because yeah. I've seen him like hit himself with a racket and take it out on himself. And you just, you just never want to see that. I mean, at that point, I just, you'd rather just break the racket, right. And get a goal violation. Yeah. So at that point, I, I just, I feel like that's a place where he could really use, um, you know, psychology or psycho- psychology, yeah. somebody like that to help, help him. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it. it's in a sense. Um, and then, but game wise, I agree with you. Yeah. Like the second yeah. serve and, you know, I think, definitely I think, he has a yeah. ceiling and limited number of ways to yeah kind of points. It's because I think he could be a solid top five player. I think he he, he does have that. I believe. He, I think he, he needs to add like variety, not necessarily to use it like as an algebra variety, but like um, just to m- make that one change at some points. Like you, you had a crucial like thirty all um, or like fifteen thirty, and you you drop like um. Yeah, a drop shot at some point, like oh, and nobody's expecting that to happen. Something like that. It's just like because very like sprinkled here and there, and uh, yeah, just using it like like what, like when Medvedev was like serving volley, like you know that he's not good at it, but he does it and it works because you don't expect that to happen. So I find like in a sense, it's just I'd also really like to see from him is finishing like coming to the net and finishing points because he's not. I mean, obviously, I know he's not very comfortable at it, but he hits so many good forehands enough he gets enough width on a lot of those yeah could just be coming in and finishing it off yeah. even if it's just a swing volley or just coming in a bit more yeah because so, like he also doesn't have a great backhand slice and that's difficult to you know that's difficult especially if you i remember fuksovic like got him in the last two sets of wimbledon because he just kept the ball really, really low and he forced rublev to slice and he just he never went for it it's not a trusted shot that he, he really likes to trust with and i think players can get comfortable if you can mix up the pace against him and you can get him really high up on the backhand or you can yeah. get him, uh, you know, playing cat and mouse or you can even bring him forward or you can yeah. do these kind of things. And it's just kind of like, it's a, it's a good forehand and it's, it's got like strong linear pace to it is what I'd say, yeah. but it's very straight through the court. It's like straight shooting, you know, yeah. it's not so much angles and opening up the space and then hitting to the open yeah. court. So yeah, I feel like in 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 a lot of ways, um, not to sound like for example, well, don't want to sound harsh again. Like again, Sikipas I guess has uh, a Rublev, versatile yeah. forehand, right? Yeah, like he, yeah. He, he he can really he knows when to flatten it out. He knows when to put spin on it. He yeah. can hit the angles. He can he uses it really smartly as a way to. And then he follows it up with his transition game. So like a player like that has more options. Yeah, but. Rublev is very simple, sort of, okay, this is my game plan, boom, boom. And I feel like he, it, it works very well for him when he gets the first serve in. Yeah. Because he's winning points quickly and he's... Because yeah. I think he hit a good, a good point in how Rublev does hit great shots at times that should allow him to win the point and finish it off. And so I think in a way, what a lot of us are not necessarily seeing is just 
the micro details in his in his game that he could use to win certain points in certain matches, well, not matches, but certain uh, occasions that would make the matches a little closer because he should yeah. have the potential to make a, a match against Tsitsipas close or against Vera, um, especially if he's just um, defending. I think Rublev should be able to be more calm and like hit through him or finish the points a little bit more often because a lot of balls could flow back to his to his um, to his record if he goes to the to the volley and finishing it off. So it it might not even be that he's not good enough or that his his mental game isn't good enough. It just might be that he's making poor decisions in crucial times and we're just missing those at times. Like uh, just because he, he might be so consistently the same <laughs> in my like numb see, our minds to see what happens <laughs> you know i just like to see something a bit different like calculated in his mind because mm-hmm. you know when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again you start to feel really comfortable and you start yeah. feeling like you know okay this is really something i can i can just make a career out of doing what i'm doing you know, i'm making millions of dollars i'm winning i've now won 10 titles <laughs> I can just sort of stay top five, top six, but like to get to that next, very next level, you've yeah. got to be able to one, believe that you can do it mentally in a big situation. And for sure. that, you need a big training book and like actually a lot of reps and like something that like his coach or some, or his team would like need to sit down with him and just be like, okay, we need to spend like one month and just like fix your second serve. Mm-hmm. We need to spend like, you know, one month and just like, make sure you're, you know, you've ironed out your, like, these things are are, are tough, you know, like he's already going to be like 25 in the world and he's like sort of now in the prime of his career, right? Like, if you will, like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really see his ceiling being way higher than it is right now. Yeah. I'd be wrong about that, but definitely feel like we kind of know who he is as a player. So it'd just be, it'd just be kind of like, what's, what's the next thing. And yeah. so. Yeah, I think we can. We could. I think but we I think can it's still good. see. I think it's good that he can play on all the surfaces, yeah. though, because yeah. like, I think that's good. Like he's made a final on grass as well, and for all you yeah. know, like you know, maybe Wimbledon could go well for him. Maybe he can get to the quarters again, or yeah. you know, I guess one round further is the goal, right? Yeah, so. I feel like it's in in a way it might, it might not be a <clears throat> a breakthrough win, but really just kind of so break. What we know, yeah, yeah, like a breakthrough tactic that he has to his game like at some point like he shows up with like a big second serve like well now there's a totally different player like it's it could be something as something like that to to rublev so definitely a a unique player yeah yeah he plays a lot of tennis he does played played over 77 matches last year and he didn't even i mean this is a guy who had no offseason because he he finished at davis cup and then he was a back 10 days later playing in mobudala exhibition yeah so so it's kind of like you know he's just doesn't really take a break and he just sort of goes week to week to week to week. Yeah. And you're going to well, have down moments in a season. Yeah. Know, if you're, we'll have so to see. We'll have to see what happens to his body on this one. Yeah. But I think... Uh, we'll have to see because I think last year he also had a strong start and then kind of yeah. Monte Carlo second half of the year, you know, fell down a bit. So I think the main 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 goal for him is the slams. It, at least be getting to the quarters consistently enough so you keep getting cracks and then eventually, you know, you just you'll find a matchup that works better for you, or you'll you'll finally you'll finally win one against one of these guys. Yeah, I I agree. I think it could happen. Uh, yeah. So I think that pretty much concludes our our thoughts that we had for. I would this say week. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, Murray, yeah. 
Ray is back with Ivan Vendel. So that's a good Yeah, that is true. If you want to know more about Murray News, you can always head to Murray Musings podcast. And uh, <laughs> shout out to them. They're doing great work, actually. They had uh, they Wanda on their episode. Uh, but Wanda is definitely somebody you want to be following right now on Twitter. Just good vibes all around, getting selfies with all the players. Yeah. Like a lot of the players are even like just honored to get a selfie with her. They're like, you know, this is on my bucket list. <laughs> Let's make this an annual thing. I saw <laughs> Sebastian Corda tweet that out. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's really and cool. I think Peter, Peter as well as, uh, in Indian Wells right yeah. now, he's doing some yes, some good and work also here. shout out shout out for Murray Musings because I, I just realized that they passed over, they passed a thousand followers on on Twitter, so yeah, pretty big step forward, pretty much well so, deserved. Yeah. Absolutely, they got, they got Judy Murray on their podcast, so they're they're killing him. <laughs> they they had to they should be at a t- ten thousand at this point. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I guess you know Andy is the goal, but yeah. You know, yeah. They're when they get ended, they can close the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the last <laughs> podcast episode, like interview and Andy Murray. <laughs> right. This guys, mean, if you get Andy Murray, just get him on another 10 times in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and then we had Djokovic obviously split ways with Marion Vida. Yeah, well, yeah that, that has that also happened. happened. Let's see how that evolves because, you know, the last time, you know, he, he came back with Marion afterwards, so. Yeah, and they they had a reunion, so you know definitely could happen. Yeah, we'll see. Again. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he's so, been his coach since two thousand six, so they've had a yeah. You know, and at some point, you know, he's been traveling with him for over fifteen years. So I'm assuming he probably also just needed a bit of a break. Yeah, maybe I was invited by the decision and as well, like just yeah, try to stay. I also know that it has nothing to do with the Australia saga and everything yeah. going because um Sasha Osmo confirmed that on Twitter. I saw, so it's it was definitely a mutual split that they had in the end of last year yeah but yeah we'll, we'll just have to see what's uh what's going on with that but yeah i think that pretty much covers it right uh, yeah for this for this week and yeah we'll just we'll have the three of us back and we'll we'll talk some indian worlds and we'll yeah hopefully hopefully we can catch up on some matches now <laughs> yeah um, catch up on catch up on some tennis wish, wishing luck to owen in his midterms and uh yep we'll, we'll be back soon you can follow yeah. us at uh, at VanshvTK on his Twitter and me and at Rollenberg Andre. <clears throat> Dang it! Um, oh, I'm Owen is at Tennis Nation. Sorry, I'm uh, be more active on Twitter now. Oh yeah, Vansh is back on Twitter. Um, we were missing his. Uh, if you missed his his stats, like we do, like just keep following him. He's gonna keep. He's gonna keep putting up a few more. He already started. Like wasn't his yeah. first tweets when he came back. Um, right. And yeah, and don't forget to follow us at Tennis and Bagels on Twitter. And if you have all the platforms, I'm trying to be more active on Instagram as well. Um, yep. Tennis and Bagels as well. So for ten, yep. Tennis and Bagels as well. This name is very unique. Nobody else has it. So. Yep. And also you can find uh, Andre and Owen's tweets uh, by going to Stefano Sitsipas' Twitter. That's true. We got retweeted. <laughs> so Steph, if you're listening to this, you know. Yeah, hit us up. We'd love to have you as a guest. Yeah. Like, so, so yeah, and and also yeah, follow popcorn tennis because they're doing they're yeah. doing great work and yeah. and we, we both write um, from time to time for them as well. So yes, we, we both are happy too. contributors for popcorn tennis, and we love to see it grow. Actually, just saw that we got Blair Henley on, so yeah, check all their yeah. work out and uh, yeah, subscribe, follow us, enjoy, and obviously you know we're gonna send our best prayers and wishes to everyone in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. tough times with the with the war ahead and hopefully um things get better soon quickly and peace yeah. 
love to all the families and yeah, yeah. So got through it all right so that that does it so yeah. right goodbye see you next time see you next time acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>